Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas and Caballeros. Hello, I believe we are live. Are you there, Kenny? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. How's it going, Emil? I'm good, Kenny. And David, are you there? David? All right. Um, Well, hopefully we can, or David can uh, call in. He was telling us before he was having some technical issues. David, if you can, uh, just... Uh, do us a favor and email us or uh, text us so that we know what is up with you. My name is Emil. I'm here on air with Kenny. And uh, we were invited by David, the host and founder of the Leave It In The Ring radio network, to uh, join his podcast um, as a guest and a co-host. So it's something that we are uh, really excited about those who have listened to the show for a long time uh, probably know that for years I called in and participated in this uh, small but very uh, knowledgeable boxing community that can uh, c- uh, compose or that, that makes up the leave it in the ring uh, radio network audience. I had a lot of uh, good times over the years participating in this show. It was always a big part of my week. I uh, became familiar with the show early on as a uh, listener and as a big fan of uh, David Duenas and Gabriel Montoya, who for a very long time uh, co-hosted this show and was a huge reason of why I started listening to the show and following the show. Uh, those of you who are who are listening are probably big fans of Leave It In The Ring and of the next round specifically uh, and also... Uh, this show specifically, and Gabriel was a big part of uh, both of those shows. He had a very unique voice in um, the boxing world, bridging the gap that is, you know, very insightful boxing talk with current events and a historical analysis and perspective that I don't really think anyone else in the uh, boxing industry has has provided or, or will provide. And obviously David me? being... Yeah, I can hear you, David. I was just giving a little bit of background uh, in terms of how I came, became familiar with the show. Um, oh. And uh, while uh, while we were waiting uh, for, you, for you to jump on, just uh, describing how I was a fan of yours, a fan of uh, uh, Gabriel Montoya, and also a big fan of uh, Steve Kim, who for a long time hosted this show uh, or hosted a show on your uh, your radio network. And uh, yeah, I'll let you I'll let you take it from here, David. Well, I was having some difficulties to get on. I had to actually pull out the old laptop just to get on the show today with you guys. Uh, so I, I'm excited. You know, it's been a minute since I've been live. Uh, been asked uh, a lot through our Leave It and Ring uh, Gmails about when we're going to come back. Well, we're back. And I'm sitting here with my two uh, new co-hosts, uh, uh, as you guys have probably already met and introduced yourselves to the 
to the listeners out there. Guys, if you want to call in, you certainly can. 347-215-7598. We're going to talk boxing here on Leaving the Ring. This past Saturday, we had the heavyweight title for the WBC title for Dante Wilder uh, defending it once again in a rematch against Luis Ortiz. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you guys this first off. I thought there might be that slight chance, and I know you guys picked uh, uh, Wilder, so I got to eat a little crow here. Um, I thought it might be that slight chance that because he didn't have a full camp, because it was he accepted it on a late notice that maybe getting in a, in a full camp that he was going to have maybe the the adjustments needed in this fight. And guys, I mean, Wilder just was clearly, I mean, he was getting out. I mean, he was getting outboxed for a moment. If you, you know, I, I think uh, everybody had him up on the scorecard. Again, he's got that right hand that no matter what, going backwards, going forwards, uh, if he lands the right hand, that's it. It's a done deal, you know? I mean, this guy's got a, 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 so much power behind it. He can generate so much power behind it that even the best boxer in front of him, and I know there's some folks that are out there questioning whether or not Ortiz is really that good. Did we really see the penitential of uh, Luis Ortiz? Well, if you watch the way I fought and, and, and the pedigree that he had coming from Cuba, you would, you would say, yeah, this guy is a real deal. I mean, there was a reason why a lot of folks didn't want to step in the ring with the King Kong, you know, because they knew that one, he had power. Two, he was, he, he, you know, he, he put pressure on you. And three, he, had, he knew how to put combinations together. Wilder is just that wild card that we, we took notice when he won the bronze medal. Remember, he didn't have a very deep amateur background, you know, but he was fighting for something. And every time he steps in the ring, I mean, is it me? Does he, it's, this guy has so much passion that he, he creates all these mistakes that should be capitalized. But he, but he has a godsend right hand that could just change the whole story. I mean, I, I don't know. How do we pick against this kid? How do we do it? Yeah, yeah uh, David, uh, I couldn't agree with you uh, more about Deontay Wilder and the fact that he can just change a fight in a second's notice with his, with his strong right. Um, you know, he had a very limited amateur background, and it shows in his pro style. He's not a technical boxer. When he gets people hurt, he really does have a tendency to swing for the fences. But he was very calm this entire fight, which is something that I felt was a big and important adjustment for him. And he also was able to, you know, escalate uh, things to, to, to a level where Luis Ortiz really had no chance at coming back because he just hit him with a right hand uh, through the guard. I didn't really get much of a, an opportunity to introduce uh, Kenny, so I'll, ask, I'll throw to Kenny here. But I'll also just mention that, you know, Kenny is uh, from out here in New York with me. Uh, we met through work, and he's a, uh, obviously a very big boxing fan, other sports as well. But he's, he's got some very unique insights on the sport of boxing, so I'm happy to have him here with me. Kenny, could you just quickly share your thoughts of the uh, Wilder KO and, and what you've seen uh, from, from Wilder recently? Definitely. Thank you for the introduction. My name is Kenny, and I'm from New York, uh, Bronx, Manhattan, uh, and a big fan of Leave It in the Radio Boxing Show. Uh, so, uh, my thoughts on uh, Luis Ortiz and Deontay Wilder. I thought that Luis Ortiz definitely had a chance because he did get a full camp. His conditioning was so much better this time around than it was the first time around. 
But I chose Wilder at the end of the day because uh, I feel that Luis Ortiz is just too old. He's slightly over the hump to be able to face a fighter like Deontay Wilder. He doesn't have the conditioning to be able to defend and get out of the way of the erasure that Deontay Wilder possesses. Uh, uh, he doesn't have the conditioning like Tyson Fury does to constantly move around and fool him and joke around with him for 12 rounds. He doesn't have that conditioning anymore. He's, a, he's an old man. Uh, uh, so that for me, that's what had me choosing Deontay Wilder uh, ahead of Ortiz because uh, Wilder is just so much younger. He, he has the, the, the physical uh, advantages, and uh, his conditioning just seems to be better. And, 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 I, and he's also gotten his experience so much better in the last five or so fights that he's had. So that, that's my, my reasoning for choosing Wilder and why I did not think that, although Luis Ortiz is a great fighter and he was the boogeyman of the class and he was held out of the, like, nobody gave him an opportunity for such a long time, uh, I still felt that Deontay Wilder, with his uh, physical advantages, his conditioning, and the eraser, would come out with the advantage in this one. Including you know, I mean, Joshua. I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, David. What I was going to say was that I, I agree with you about conditioning. But I don't even think anybody, I think anybody can have great conditioning. But once they get hit with that, with that wilder right, it, it's, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, I, 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 he's proved mm-hmm. it. Unless you're a Tyson Fury, you know, yeah. who can uh, just arise from, a, from near death, uh, yeah. give himself, or, you, know, re, you know, he revives himself and gets right back up. I don't see, and welcome to the show, Kenny. Sorry about that. Everything's all hectic right now. We're all over the place. Yeah. But, um, I don't see anybody right now. Thank now you. Honestly, can you can you bet uh, Ruiz? Can Ruiz do this? Can AJ Johnson? No. Are these the guys? They're gonna they're gonna dethrone uh, uh, Deontay Wilder. I, I don't think so, guys. No, um, you know, Luis Ortiz actually had as good as a shot uh, as as anybody I think, other than Tyson Fury, because of his extensive amateur background, his high boxing IQ. But unfortunately, like Kenny alluded to earlier, or actually stated quite directly, his age and his conditioning was a factor. One thing I was very impressed by was that Wilder had to second guess and um, was always, you know, having to think in there because of the feints that um, Luis Ortiz was, was, was using. He was using feints. He was kind of throwing different shots. Um, he was he was making Wilder do things. And Wilder said this himself in the first fight, that he was making him do things that other fighters uh, haven't had uh, or that haven't forced Wilder to, to do previously. I think Fury has the best shot at beating Wilder. The reason I say that is because his reach is long and he can kind of get out of the way of punches if he stays upright and if he's focused for a full 12 rounds. And also, again, his use of the feints. And his footwork. I think that that's why Fury, more than anybody, would give Wilder a, a, t- a, tough sh- a, a tough go. But, you know, like you said, David, that one-punch eraser is really the difference maker right now in the heavyweight division. My thoughts regarding the conditioning are uh, basically that if they have better conditioning, they're able to dodge the punches for a much longer time while still being able to throw punches and being able to get hit by punches without gassing out or or some fighters they play they 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 play the defensive game and they'll defend all fight and barely throw punches to keep their conditioning so that they don't die out. Uh Lewis Ortiz was doing both of them. He got hit around in the 7th round and last fight in the 8th round. 
Fury was dodging punches. It, I don't remember what round was that he got knocked down the first time. It was like the ninth or the tenth. Uh, but he was dodging punches for much longer while still throwing punches. That's yeah. more my thoughts regarding the conditioning. Uh, it, 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 he, uh, um, Ortiz did not have the conditioning required to be able to dodge the eraser for 12 rounds. It's never been his style, still throwing punches. No. You know what I mean? It's never been his style. I mean, if, we, if you watch, and we've, you know, as we've all watched Ortiz and noticed that, he's always been the guy to pressure you to go back, to literally fall apart under his pressure. You know, so, and I think that's one thing that his camp should have really looked at in the first fight, because I had said it on, on the podcast, my solo show by myself, where I said, you know, he really can't stalk him this time around because of the fact that he's going to walk into a big right hand. And, and guess what? That happened again. His best moment in the first fight when, when was he made Wilder impatient. And when Wilder's impatient, he makes tons of mistakes. He gets off balance. You saw that yeah. with Fury. Fury was able to capitalize on it because he was able to counter. And nobody, absolutely nobody right now in the heavyweight divisions got Fury's footwork and herky-jerky style. He's able to be very elusive for a very tall, lanky, 6'9 frame yeah. fighter. I mean, it's going to be really hard. Anybody with conditioning as a heavyweight, especially you know heavyweights are thick on top, thick waist, thick shoulders, thick neck. They really don't have that movement that you would that you would kind of see in the bantamweights and featherweights and even lightweights. Yeah. They don't really have that. Uh, Mike Tyson was a phenom because of that reason. Big guy, five ten, and was able to you know, you know, wave in and in in to get in between shots to land a jab or a right hand. Ortiz was never going to be made to do that. So I agree with you, Kenny. In order to beat an, an, a Dante Wilder, is you got to have some of the athleticism that Tyson Fury has. And I just don't see any of them doing that. Ruiz, is fight, he fights upright. Ruiz likes to trade with you when you open up. AJ has already proven that he likes to stand a little bit too much and wait for the receipt. That's yeah. all planned out for Wilder to have that big fight. No, you are uh, you're spot on. I don't think anyone other than Tyson Fury is going to be able to defeat Deontay Wilder with a kind of straight-up, stand-up, tall uh, boxing style. Fury can because he's got long arms and he's tall and lanky and good, good footwork. And he does a move that you kind of even see Floyd do where he kind of steps back and then extends out with two hands and moves his hips and his stomach back to kind of evade punches. He's able to do stuff like that. Luis Ortiz has a stand-up boxing style, and it's going to be difficult to defeat a guy like Wilder with that stand-up style. I, I, I'm not saying that Andy Ruiz has a, a great chance of beating Wilder, but if he can kind of do his best Tyson impersonation and, and use his, uh, his quick, compact, short shots, uh, that would probably have more effect. I don't know if either of you had a chance to look up any of the uh, interviews that went up today, but I just want to do something that I did yesterday, and that's give um, Herman Caicedo, the uh, trainer of, of uh, Luis Ortiz, a lot of credit because I do think that given what he had, he really did a good job preparing uh, Ruiz and that he gave him quite a, a good game plan. I mean, he executed it well for seven, just over seven rounds, right, or uh, almost seven full rounds. Uh, yeah, I, I got to agree. agree with, yeah. mm -hmm. 
I agree with giving the credit to Caicedo. Um, and just to answer your question really quickly, David, uh, after seeing this fight with Ortiz, I do not know if – I do not think that there's anybody that can defeat Wilder out there because I don't know if there's anybody that can d- dodge that punch for 12 rounds straight. Uh, and, yes, there's a lot of other players that have power. But the composition that Deontay Wilder showed me this last fight, the way that he was composed, not like the first fight where he fought Ortiz, where, where when he was getting destroyed in the seventh round, he started just kind of folding and getting beat up really badly, gassing out. He looks super composed this fight. He has grown. He has developed. If he continues developing in this way and improving his opposition, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to defeat Deontay Wilder. I agree with you all the way there because, you know, the pressure that Luis Ortiz did put on him, um, you know, even catching him at times where Wilder's head snapped back, he composed himself as a professional that has been in, in, in the ring for 20-plus years. He kind of showed the maturity that that has grown since him having the title. And I was really impressed with that because – he didn't, he didn't really get – he didn't try to get out of pocket. What he did was he patiently waited for his moment. He looked for his moment. The one thing that I like to see him, though, correct, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but that pawing of his jab, it's going to cost him one of these days. And somebody like Andy Ruiz, who's got fast hands and still has to get past uh, Anthony Joshua, if he does get past him, and if that fight is to be made – the fast hands of Andy Ruiz can pose a lot of problems to Dante Wilder. But I go back again. That right hand is the one factor that every one of these heavyweights got to think about. Not once, not twice, but three times. An implicated plan that can nummify it, nummify it or avoid. Because I'm telling you, Dante knows it and we, the whole world knows it now. Once he touches you, you might as well call him Dr. Sleep. That's that's how, that's how, you know what I mean? That's how powerful that right hand is. No, and, you know, it's tough because when you're watching Deontay Wilder, oftentimes I think, am I watching a guy with really bad boxing technique or is there some kind of method to his madness? So you bring right. up the pawing jab, right? And it, right. technically it's a terrible jab, the pawing jab, right? Because, you know, you can get countered, especially by a uh, – a southpaw straight left. The thing, though, is was he using that pawing jab to hide his right-hand shot? Was he mo- I think using that's what that he does. pawing yeah. jab and that hook to move Luis Ortiz into that right-hand shot? Honestly, these are questions that only Deontay knows and maybe his coach, um, uh, uh, Coach Deese. But, um, you know, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that because it looks really bad. It looks very non-technical. But, you know, the proof is kind of in the pudding when guys are, 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 are dropping the way they are in his fights. Yeah, I, it, it, it does seem like there's a message to his madness. I, I don't know. My only thoughts regarding the, the paw and jab is that uh, he does need to stop that. He didn't need to do that against Ortiz because Ortiz was just automatically moving towards Deontay Ryder's, Wilder's right hand. He didn't have to do that. Uh, he does possess a really good 
straightforward jab that he see, that he only shows you when he's with his trainer in training. He doesn't ever let that jab go in fights. If he starts employing that jab, if he starts using that, that can be very effective. He needs to get away from this pawing jab. I mean, he was effective uh, with that jab when he stepped into the rematch with uh, uh, Stavern, Bermain Stavern, and it worked perfect. I mean, when he uses the jab, we've seen him use it. He, he knows how to stick it out there. But, Amilcar, I, I got to agree with you. I think he uses it to blind his opponents when they're shorter than him or to move them. It's almost in the same sense of what Lomachenko uh, does with his opponents. He pity packs to find the opening to land big shots. So see reaction. What you do... Um, I don't know what that noise is in the background. Somebody's wrestling with something. <laughs> sorry, that might have been that might have been at my end. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. Um, uh, going back, Lomachenko, where he uses it to find openings so he can land big shots or to see your reaction. Uh, Dante Wilder could be doing that, and I, I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't argue with anybody. If they told me that they're starting to see a far more polished. Uh, Dante Wilder. Was this fight a bit boring? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. But that only tells you when it gets a bit boring and it gets a bit tactical, guys, right? Tell me if I'm wrong about this. But when you start seeing that, it's because the oppositions are actually much tougher. There's more risk involved. So now guys are trying to sit back and now they're being, they're trying to be very collective, trying to be smart about their next move and what they're going to do against their opponent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Lennox Lewis was the master of kind of using a jab to hide his right hand. He used it really effectively. And somebody mentioned this earlier to me today, and I kind of agreed with it a lot. But the knockout was kind of reminiscent of the George Foreman, Michael Moore knockout. One, because it was a quick, like, right-hand shot and that, that went through a guard and dropped the southpaw opponent. I... I I, I thought of it, and I was like, yeah, you know, that's a, actually uh, a quite a good point. And as it relates to the boringness of the fight, I've got to be honest with you, I'm always on the edge of my seat when I watch Wilder. Right. Because I know that, at, again, at any moment, the fight could be over. And you're constantly watching uh, a chess match between two guys where one of them is fighting in a way uh, that may appear as though he's winning, but where you know that at any moment he – he might get dropped and, and counted out for for ten. I, I have to say I was pretty upset this time around because uh, I actually did miss the knockout live. You know, I, I didn't. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I did. I didn't take Wilder's advice. I went to the bathroom. You know, he says don't oh, blink. No, oh, no, no. Stand, no bathroom. Like the I went to the bathroom and too, I lost bro. It. <laughs> I couldn't You're hold it. You're supposed to know, hold it, you know? Oh, shit. <laughs> well, Kenny, Kenny likes his IPAs just as much as I do. And those, those, run, those run right running. through. You drink beers, and that's what happens. Yeah, I couldn't hold it, and I missed the knockout, but I, I caught it right after. Uh, you know, it, it, Unfortunately, though, I caught the, the, the live uh, reactions of the crowd and everybody. I, didn't, I missed that. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that, bro. I didn't know that. <laughs> it, it, it's all right. I caught I caught the 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 rest of the skilled boring back and forth, and I caught the replay of the knockout. It's okay. Got it. So, uh, quick apologies to both of you. I actually, for those of you who don't know, I'm a teacher, and uh, I had to stay late at work, and I'm in my office. 
So that little rumbling around was trying to get people to stay out of my office because there was a lot of commotion outside. But um, in the future, I'll definitely make sure I'm at home in the little studio that Kenny and I have uh, have set up so that we'll have a, cl- a clean, smooth uh, a radio broadcast next time. I want to thank you guys, man, for uh, doing this with me uh, uh, on Leaving the Ring. Uh, you know, I know a lot of listeners enjoy when we're on live and we take their calls. Um, you know, uh, like I said, five fans, you want to call and certainly can, 347-215-7598. I know folks are not aware that we're on live right now. Uh, hopefully they'll catch this and then they'll come back next Monday. Uh, yes, we'll absolutely. go back live again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I'm excited about this new venture that we we have talked about. We're going to do together, and um, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff in boxing definitely to, to talk about. Uh, if you were watching the Wilder fight, obviously you had either a tablet or your computer or another TV up because the zone yep. had some great matches as well. Uh, what'd you guys think? What'd you think about about that title fight that happened on the zone there? You know. Uh, you're referring to the, uh, to the, uh, fight between, um, uh, Chango and Rene Alvarado. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, going in, you, being that this was a rematch, um, of a fight that Kencio previously won. And although it was at a lower weight class, I, went in there thinking that, you know, this was just going to kind of be a, a step-up fight for Kenzio onto bigger and better things, uh, whether it be a unification fight. I know he called out Tank Davis, called out all types of people that he was willing to fight, right. Devin Farmer, um, et cetera. And, you know, the story in the media has always been the past uh, a few few months now, you know, the kind of the right. Rocky story, you know, a guy that is a, is a kind of a, a uh, tradesman who, you know, works a full-time working-class blue-collar job who doesn't even take off time from work to train and then to fight. And, you know, he really did a great job of galvanizing the public. He he was a main event in a card close to his, uh, his, his home area, or in his home area. He brought out the fans. He was the favored guy to win. But you know what, David? There's something about the underdog especially when they come from places like Nicaragua. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, that country has a great fighting tradition uh, dating back decades. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he Rene Alvarado, whose brother also fights, did a great job of carrying on uh, that, that uh, legacy of some of the uh, all-time greats. Uh, obviously, Arguello way back in the day, up to mo- mo- more recently, um, Chocolatito Gonzalez. Um, he, you know, we've got another Nicaraguan world champion, and it was not even a close fight. That was the most surprising things to me. Yeah, it I wasn't. Mean, it... He beat up Chango, man. And for those of you who don't know, Chango is a Yoruba god of thunder from uh, from West Africa. So you carry that name, you you got to bring the thunder. And unfortunately. Uh, Cancio didn't really bring the thunder on Saturday night. What were your thoughts, uh, David? I thought he did. I th- you know what? I think I thought he did. I thought he did yeah. bring the thunder. We're opening up the phone lines right now. I see we got okay, uh, a caller or two. But but let me just give you what I saw here. Um, yeah. Because I disagree with you with that. I think he okay. I think he did bring it. 
And the, the problem that I have now with, with pressure fighters is if you go back, I mean, <clears throat> go back to the, to the 70s, the 80s, and even in the in, in early 90s, pressure fighters had more than just one tool in the tool shed. Yeah. Nowadays, you see pressure fighters that, that have their arms tucked in close, their elbows in super close, and then all they do is try to walk you down, but with nothing behind it, no jab. They don't try to jab the yeah. way in so they can land body shots. They don't cut off the ring. And, and, and El Chango was doing – what he was doing to me was putting his head as a target every time. Now, it's great to see that a guy could take a shot. But is it the smartest thing to do every single time out, man? It's not. I mean, I get it. You want to show you got balls of steel. But at the same time, you got to have some skills to back up the balls. And Alvarado saw that. Alvarado saw that he was able to keep him at the end of his punches. He was able yep. to jab him. And occasionally when they got in close, guess what? He was doing the much better work in the inside fight where the guy with the shorter arms wasn't. And I go back again. A story is always great. But sometimes you can oversell a story that you're overlooking what the guy really does possess. And Absolutely. I was never big, big on, on Chango, man. I got to tell you, I got to be honest. I've never been big on him. I thought this guy, look, he's been doing great. I like the fact he's a blue-collar blue worker. I'm a blue-collar guy. You know, uh, uh, this, this sport is carried by blue-collar people. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we need to be realistic. And this was something already – uh, in the makings of happening. When he's, when he's calling out the tank and all these other guys, I was like, ugh, uh, I want to see him, you know, work it first, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. You know what? You've convinced me, David. I'm going to amend my previous statement. All right? Uh, Cancio brought the thunder, but Rene Alvarado brought the hurricane. And, um, you know, he did a much better job of showing a wider variety of punches he obviously he proved to me at least that he's a much more technically sound uh, boxer with a much higher uh, boxing IQ. Um, you know, maybe the fact that he wasn't able to train full time is the reason that he fought such a one-dimensional fight. It's, he didn't have an answer to the adjustments that Rene Alvarado was making. Right. Um, well, they worked for him. That's why. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. You know, working part, work, you know, working full time and boxing part time got him to where he's at. I, I applaud him for that. I really applaud him yeah. for that because that is really difficult. I mean, to work a full time job, to be the head of the household, you know, uh, the answer to everybody around you as a provider is a very difficult job to do. It's exhausting. And then yeah. you pick yourself up after that when you get home, right, and go to the gym and put in another job. That 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 demands more, honestly, more than your blue collar job. That's a tough deal, but it worked for him. And I think that's what they 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 understood. And they said, hey, um, this passion, the way Dante Wilder, I mean, the way Walter, Dante Wilder fights, he has so much passion. It's, you know, he has his daughter is is driving him to be the way he is. I mean, he fights. You know, he throws a punch with every conviction of, of making a statement. Uh, I think Cancio was doing the same thing with his style. But, again, I think, he, I think, honestly, I hope that he learned a hard lesson that not always what worked the first time is going to work with the next guy. Because the next guy, you know, it's that old saying, you know, uh, uh, in, in the fight world, you know, there's always another guy out there training to beat you. 
Absolutely. And um, with all due respect to Alberto Machado, who I felt was a really good fighter, uh, he did have that air of uh, fragility about him, you know, kind of the, you know, the deer, the baby deer legs once he got hurt. And he really didn't have many answers for for Andrew uh, Cancho's come forward relentless style. But that style always is going to come up against a boxer who can punch. And, um, you know, that's what happened there. I, I, he he lost a, a big payday possibly against the Tevin Farmer or Tank Davis or some of the other guys. But, you know, I think he's he's reached the limits of where his talent has, has been able to, to take him right now, um, especially with his schedule at work and everything else. To me, if he is going to transition to the next level, he's going to have to become a full-time fighter. And change trainers, possibly. Get a new trainer that could teach him something new. Uh, not stay with the same old routine of what you've learned. Not continue moving forward the same way with, with the elbows tucked in, trying to uh, land a power shot. That doesn't always work when you get to the higher levels of boxing. Most of the time, it doesn't work. Deontay Wilder is just a lucky one. And he, Deontay Wilder does faint a little more. He does... Uh, try to get out the way a little more. He does throw a jab in there a little more. He he he, he does throw in a, a slight more skill than just a, a very powerful punch, a lot of power. And he's a freakishly athletic and gifted athlete. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's almost got superpower skills. I mean, it's that right hand is a, is almost a superpower. I, you know, when when we talk about switching trainers, um I, you know, Kenny, I, I agreed and I disagree. And the reason why, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, you know, that the, what the trainer should have seen. Obviously, I've always said that the trainer is the, you know, if you watch football, you have your, you have your tower coaches up in the tower watching down in the field, and you got your field coaches. The fighter is the field coach. The, the, the trainer out, uh, outside of the ring is the tower coach. Um, I, I just wonder sometimes, because this does uh, affect fighters when they – Switch trainers uh, automatically, um, they lose that trust with the trainer that they're with because they're blaming them for, for the mistakes. Um, I, I just wonder, should he do that right now, immediately jump to a new trainer because that might be too much information. And it's almost like re- being reequated with that person. They got to kind of, you know, gel. I don't know if he should do that yet. I think if anything, I think the smart move for the team and for for El Chango right now is to just kind of take a step back and maybe have some build-up fights and then see if that trainer does uh, uh, develop uh, uh, any new strategies of, of, of changing the style a bit to, to learn what, you know, the adjustments that need to come along when he steps in with oppositions. Um, but I could be completely wrong. And, 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 and at the same time saying that, I, I do agree with you that sometimes a fighter needs to be smart enough to say, this guy has plateaued. This is as far as this is going to get me. So I got to move on. So it's a double-edged sword, I think. I, I definitely agree with that. I never thought about it in that way, in that sense, uh, the trust factor. I never thought about it that way. There is a large amount of trust between trainers. That is a great, valid point. And it, it, you brought me back to feeling the same way, that I don't know if it's a good idea. Uh, I don't know how long he's been with his trainers to begin with, and I don't know what his trainers teaching him. I'm not behind doors. I'm not there with them. Uh, I don't know if it was the trainer's decision to box in that way or if it was his own decision, you know. But he does need to make some changes. If not to his training, like a like a Milkar said, uh, dropping the full time job and becoming a full time boxer. At the end of the day, that is going to give him more finances and make him more sustainable, make him more reliable to with finances for his family. 
Right, and it's tough because, you know, I've heard that one of the main reasons he's unwilling to give up his job is because he's got health care coverage through his employment, right? And, right, yeah. Um, you know, he's a family man. He's, he, is, he needs coverage for his wife. He needs coverage for his kids, not just coverage for himself. And unfortunately, uh, not to turn this into a political podcast, but we live in a country where, unlike other countries where people fight, like England, where there was a card Saturday as well, not everyone in this country has health care. And unfortunately, right. we rely on our employers to get health care. So, you know, I can see why Cancio uh, needs to keep his job while fighting. It, it's definitely not an easy decision to make. And I think, Kenny, too, you're absolutely right. And uh, actually, it was uh, David who made the point. Sorry, David. You're absolutely right. The trust factor is very important. You know, I'm sure in the coming weeks we're going to be talking more about um, Joshua and his rematch with Ruiz. After he was knocked out by Ruiz, he, you know, people were calling for him to dump his trainer. And the main reason I think he's kept uh, Rob McCracken is because of of that trust factor and that bond that's developed, not just in training, but, but outside of the the walls of the gym as well. You know, so many people, you know, that are outside looking in uh, at a fight, the fight game, you know, and uh, never had a chance to either either get, you know, uh, lace up the gloves or even walk a camp or go out there and cover it. Um, don't don't understand the isolation that fighters uh, endure in fight camp or throughout their whole career. A lot of fighters are very gullible or or they're. Because they're almost like sheltered to a point that they don't know anything outside of there. Now, El Chango is not like that. Here's a guy that understands stability. He needs stability for his family. That's why he has a full-time job as well as the as the uh, uh, you know having medical for his family. Uh, once you're a family man, the stability and the security that your wife and your kids and your family es- expect uh, need that all the time, and that's really hard to cut off. You know, I mean, I know people personally that won't jump ship at a at a deadbeat job that they hate, you know, that they've already topped up. They can only make a certain amount. They can't make any more. But jump to that and try to be an entrepreneur and start a business. They won't even think about it twice. They say, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, I got to have a check every week. I got to have that stability. So I, I applaud, you know, Chango for, for being able to balance, juggle both things. But I think you guys are absolutely right. If you want to go far in this game, you got to accept the selfishness that this sport, you know, uh, uh, wants. It needs. This sport is very selfish. You know, it wants your whole complete uh, 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 attention. In order for you to make it to the top, you have to give, you, you have to give your soul practically to this sport. No, uh, I, I, I definitely agree with that. You're right, and it's why – Guys who can afford it at the top of their uh, of their of their game, and you look at I'm going to bring up Anthony Joshua again. Anthony Joshua is like LeBron James. He's got a team of of people around him: sports scientists, strength and conditioning coaches, sports psychologists, massage people, physio people. And he takes them all around the world. Not to mention a team of guys he just has living with him almost. It seems full time who like run with him and jo- and and do exercise with him and whatnot. So, but this is this is the class disparity, unfortunately, that exists in our sports. You, you, it's a sport, and it's always been a sport of the haves and the have-nots. Uh, yeah, I, 
I uh, uh, agree with that statement, and uh, just this just leaves me with a question since we're on the – I don't want to switch the topic too far from Ortiz mm-hmm. in the heavyweight class, but since we're talking about trainers, it leaves me with a question about someone who recently trained, cha- uh, changed their trainer after taking a loss. Uh, do you think it was the right move for him, for Triple G, uh, removing Abel Sanchez from his corner? You want to go first um, on that, uh, David? I'm sure you have thoughts on it. Well, I mean, I think with a guy like him, a veteran, it doesn't matter who you change because, honestly, nothing's going to change who you are. You're going to uh, – you know, I think Triple G is Triple G. Um, he doesn't know any other way to fight. I think he's – and here's the thing. I don't think he gets credit enough. He's a very intelligent fighter. What I saw, what he did with Canelo in both fights, okay, well, actually the second fight, really, uh, when, when he wasn't able to – to apply that pressure that he's normally been able to do to any other guy that stepped in front of him, he had to revert to boxing. He did it with Loman, uh, uh, um, uh, David Lemieux. Um, he knew that David Lemieux had carried a big punch, but he also understood that there was a big prize at the end of the road if he you know, made sure that he didn't get a, an all-out trade war. So he reverted to boxing. Um, now we, we witnessed with Dermanchenko, uh, getting in with Dermanchenko, uh, you know, I respect anybody that comes out of the crunk, but were they going to change a Triple G overnight? No. Uh, Triple G actually fought Dormachenko the way he fought Canelo in that rematch. So I think at this point of his career, it doesn't really matter. You could put Blow Joe in front of him to help him out with the mitts and hand wrap his hands correctly. I think Gennady Golovkin is going to fight the way Gennady Golovkin wants to fight. And I'm going to take a, a different view in terms of my response to that question, Kenny. Uh, and I'm, I, I agree uh, 100% with David in terms of the technical side of the decision. But I, I think a lot of that just came down to a business decision. You know, Abel Sanchez yeah. is making a certain percentage of Gennady Golovkin's paydays. And Gennady Golovkin signed a deal with the zone that's reportedly paying him a total of $100 million over a number of fights. And he didn't want to give Abel Sanchez the percentage that he had been paying him before. So he decided to switch trainers. Um, I think that anyone who attributes Triple G's losses to Abel Sanchez is really just a deluded Triple G fan that's unwilling to really look at the reasons why those were close fights and why he didn't do enough to win. I, I didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, David. Did you hear... Abel Sanchez telling Triple G not to throw punches. I'm, I think I missed that that instruction. <laughs> you know? No, I think of any, I think of anything is that Abel and and you know okay here's the, here's the only thing that I could criticize about about Abel. Yeah. The one thing that that I saw that they completely just missed the mark on was body punches. But Abel Sanchez did say in several interviews, hey, we worked on that. Um, but sometimes when you get punched in the mouth, you know, it's that old saying Mike, Sa- Mike Tyson has said, your, your game plan changes. And, and I think that it's really up to the fighter to deliver the, what, the, what the trainer's instructing him to do. You know what I mean? You can't blame the trainer for everything. Um, the, the fighter has to be accountable if he's not following the instructions of, of Abel Sanchez, you know. But well, I, I, I do think – go ahead. I've heard that criticism before, and that – Criticism um, misses a key point, and that point is people, when they don't go to the body, it's because they don't want to be counter to the body. 
And what right. does Canelo do extremely well? He punches hard to the body. And I'm sure Triple G did not want to absorb those body shots. So what he ended up doing was resorting to a more classical European style. And guess what? Abel Sanchez does not teach a classical European style of jab, no. right hand. Jab, right hand. Right? I, I right. have to agree with both of you. So I have I, to agree I mean, with both of you. That's why he wasn't throwing body shots. I, people that blame Abel Sanchez for that, I'm sorry. Like You, you were just looking for a scapegoat to explain why Triple G didn't beat Canelo. I have to agree with both of you on this on this comment, on this statement. Uh, I can see that you really cannot teach uh, old dog new tricks. Uh, and I also see the financial side, the financial aspect with, with uh, Triple G and Abel Sanchez. Uh, regarding the finances, I think that that's a, a very dirty move, being that Abel Sanchez was the one that trained him for such a long time. And, uh, yeah, uh, Triple G's fans are delusional, the ones that think that he won against Dev Ranchenko and the ones that think that he won that second fight versus uh, Canelo. Uh, yeah, that's, those, are, those, are, that, those are my thoughts. That's my two cents, and I, yeah, I can't say no more. What do you guys think about – what is Alvarado? I mean, who do, you, who do you guys think that he should go after next right now? I mean, uh, what would be the next step for him to go up and defend his title? You know, a lot – I don't know if you remember much about the, the way that uh, – Chocolatito would would fight. So he was fighting a lot between Japan, between Nicaragua, and between uh, later on the United States. But earlier on, it was primarily Japan and Nicaragua. And he'd have his big fights in Japan, and then he'd follow them up with kind of a smaller title defense fight in Nicaragua for his home fans. If I'm Rene Alvarado, and I've just crowned a, a you know, world champion from, from Nicaragua. I'm going back home. I'm giving the fans a a uh, a hometown, you know, showcase fight. Get get his support, not only back home in Nicaragua, but also the Nicaraguans that, that live in, in the United States. Excited. Maybe get a, another spectacular stoppage victory. And I'd, I'd take it home for a uh, for, for a hometown fight against a maybe a mandatory defense type type level opponent. I got to look to see if he's even signed with this zone. I like to find out if he is, because I think that that would make a lot of sense for him to go back to Nicaragua and fight in his hometown for the fans. And that now recognize he's a champion. I think that'd be good. But if he doesn't have an outlet to televise it, then it doesn't make sense because you, we know that he's got to follow where the payday is going to give him. You know, um, everybody has a handout in, in boxing. That's why a lot of times these smaller promoters um, have to go with the, the package deal, the TV package deal. They can't, they can't build a fighter in a hometown because there's no money there for them to, to pay out everybody that's involved. So I hope that but they, it, uh, um, has some type of deal, even with Golden Boy, if he just has a strict deal with Golden Boy, put him on Facebook oh, Live, uh, the- something like that. The funny, the funny thing about that is he's he's now the uh, the WBA WBA champion, and um, Miguel Flores was actually ranked just below him uh, prior to this fight, and we all 
obviously saw what happened to uh, Miguel Flores on the undercard of the Leo Santa Cruz fight. So then we're looking at Jason Valera. I, I actually, I did it. I actually, oh, you did, I did it? it. Okay. I did like, oh. No, I ended up doing what Kenny did, but I did it on purpose, though, Kenny. It's not like you. Bro. Look, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't miss much. Um, you know. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I didn't miss much. That's why I said I did it on purpose. <laughs> Look, it's it's funny, uh, and I'll I'll share this with the listeners right now. Kenny and I, we do uh, a little uh, recap show ourselves. Um, it's called status it's called status ko and we kind of discussed that but uh yeah um i'm not a huge fan of 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 santa cruz i'm just not uh he's a volume puncher but he's not very exciting i don't really consider him very technical and i don't find his his fights that compelling you know i think the two fights with abner mares as for as many punches as they threw there weren't ebbs and flows in the fight. There, nothing really dramatic happened, and yeah, I'm just not that much of a of a of a fan of his. So yeah, you know, you look down the list. I'm looking down the rankings of the WBA. Uh, Jason Velez, Roger Gutierrez, Chris Colbert. Then he's got a guy in Japan, Kenichiwa Ogawa. You know, I think that there aren't really too many high um, profile names for him there. Uh, at one. 130 at least in the WBA. He'd he'd have to seek maybe a unification fight with Tevin Farmer, or who's the IBF champ, uh, Jamel Herring, who's the WBO champ, or maybe Miguel Burchelt, who's the uh, WBC champ. But but yeah, I think an easy, not an easy fight, but an easier fight at home for the fans in Managua would be a, a good look for for Rene Alvarado. I agree. Uh, five fans, you want to call in 347-215-7598. Let's patch in area code 209. You're on live right now on Leaving Ring. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, man. Who are we talking to? Uh, Troy from Stockton. Hey, Troy, Troy from what's Stockton. Up, <laughs> what's up? How you guys been? I haven't heard you guys in a while. I know, bro. I was locked up for a little bit, man. I was on lockdown with my old lady, bro. And she was like, no, you're not talking boxing, cabron. You're going to stay right here next to me, and we're going to snuggle. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I know the feeling. Hey, I want to talk about this weekend's uh, boxing cards. I, I uh, saw the, the two fights on, on the zone, uh, uh, Robles and Khan, and uh, 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 the uh, 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 the uh, uh, fight and, and the Alvarado fight. Uh man, the, those two parts were great. They were good. Uh, yeah, great they action. Were. Oh my God, the the Gonzo fight, man, that was a bloodbath. <laughs> um, but but I, I didn't watch the Osana Cruz. I mean, I'm not really a fan of his. I mean, if I watch him, if I miss him, I'm not gonna be able to watch him again for another eight nine months. So you know, it's you know, if, if I miss some fight, you know, I'll you know, yeah, I didn't really lose much. Um, you know, the last time I saw him fight was against uh, Abner uh, uh, Mares, the first one. Uh, other than that, I mean, his his fights are either uh, with somebody, you know, formidable or a tuna fight, and they're all about nine months apart. So I, I, I you know, I'm uh, not even gonna waste my time. Uh, uh, as for the uh, uh, Dante Water fight, man, I had a work early that morning, like I mean, like 5:30 early. So um, after I got home, 
uh, from watching Frozen with the family. You know, I sat down on the couch. Oh, and I boom, saw I, that. I, <laughs> it, was, it was a good yeah, movie. Great family that. movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, great, great movie. My my my, my three year old loved it, man. So you know, hey, you know, I was happy. Guy uh, yesterday, you know, I, it was you that was coming out of the movie theater singing the song. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed it more than your daughter. Oh, it was great family yeah, entertainment. Your daughter, hey, you know your you know your little girl was like, man, we can't bring daddy nowhere. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was all good, man. It was all good, man. That's great, and, man. Uh, That's great. Uh, dude. Uh, uh, the water fight. I I saw them walk out. Uh, I saw them walk out, and the next thing you know, my lady wakes me up at midnight. Hey, it's time to go to bed. I was like, what? I I, I missed the entire fight. So I'm like, oh well. <laughs> but did you catch the replay? Yeah. No, no, I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Uh, uh, I, I saw the highlights. Well, yeah, just, to, just to give you a heads up, Wilder did sing "Let It Go," you know, from Frozen. So, and he did. <laughs> he, let the, he let the right hand go. That's for sure. <laughs> he let the right hand go. So, um, <laughs> um, uh, other than that, man, I mean, it's nice to see you guys. I mean, it's nice to hear you guys back. Um, um, thank you. you know, that, that's all I pretty much I have to say. Uh, thank you very much for answering my phone call, and and, and I'll be listening to you guys on, on the rest of the way home. Thank okay, you so brother. much thank for you, the man. call. Thank you. Sounds right, good, right, brother. Man. Thank you. All right, all right, later, guys. Later. Regarding Wilder, only watch round seven. <laughs> and don't go to the everything bathroom. Else is not, yeah, <laughs> everything else is not that entertaining. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, I got to tell you something. Um, so I got, I remember I was talking to you, uh, uh, card that I haven't yeah. seen the uh, Smith and Ryder fight. So I was like, oh, well, yeah. I'll just go home. I don't have lunch. And I watched it. So I watched it. And then I got on the Leaving the Ring uh, Gmail and I missed like literally 10 que- people asking about what what my thoughts were or our thoughts going to be today if we were going to talk about this fight. And yeah. and obviously, you know, uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez, where does it put him at? Because, you know, right now, Saul, he's, he's at the right position where he can go literally three divisions and pick any fighter um, at any given moment and have stipulations of what he wants to do. Cause right now he's the cash cow. Yeah. Uh, look, I follow boxing in the UK quite closely. I actually used to live in the UK before I moved uh, back here. And I'm currently obviously living in, in New York, but I've got friends over in the UK, people that really are, hardcore boxing fans and i've followed the smith brothers callum smith is the youngest of the smith brothers they're out of the joe gallagher gym in liverpool and he is by far the most accomplished of that group of fighters and when he was going up in the ranking he was like you know one round KOing people one punch KOing people as the competition got harder the one punch KOs and the in the first round KOs kind of stopped a little bit, but he was still dominating his opponents, including top-level guys like George Groves, who he beat in the final of the World Boxing Super Series. Then, obviously, we saw what he did to Hassan Enjam in his U.S. debut. That was just a brutal, uh, you know, one-sided fight. I felt actually quite sorry for uh, Hassan Enjam um, in that one because that's a guy who's always kind of been in just – 
tough wars with people. But Callum Smith, he actually did not do what people thought he would do in this fight. They thought he would kind of steamroll a guy, Ryder, who was much shorter than him, doesn't have the extensive amateur background that he does, and obviously does not have the professional accolades that he does either. I mean, this was essentially supposed to be a showcase fight for Callum Smith. It took place in Liverpool, his hometown. So uh, Ryder was also the away fighter. But from round one, literally from, you know, the, 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 the time they first rang the first bell, Ryder was up in him, man. He was slipping the jab. His footwork was great. He was shoulder rolling. He was killing him to the body. Um, it was a close fight. Now, I think it's a perfectly fair decision that Callum Smith, uh, you know, won unanimously. I do not feel that it was kind of a 117 kind of scorecard situation. I felt that was extreme. (laughs) But the big news for me coming out of this fight was that it showed the world that Callum Smith is going to have a lot of trouble with Canelo Alvarez. And I say that because as good as John Ryder is, as good as he is at slipping punches, I mean, that is Canelo's wheelhouse. Like, that's what he does perhaps better than any other boxer in the world at this time, just slipping punches, getting to the body. He's got that kind of slight shoulder roll that he does defensively, and he can take a hell of a shot, Canelo can. So after seeing this fight, I, I kind of got more interested in the prospects of, of a Canelo-Smith fight as, as being competitive because at first I, I actually thought that Can, uh, Smith, before the Kovalev fight and even after it, would have kind of been too much for Canelo, but now I actually Same see here. Canelo yeah. winning that fight. I think, I think I think Canelo's a, a fairly small dude with a lot of power, a lot of heart, a solid, a diamond chin, and a, a great uh, lateral movement and great head movement to not get hit. Uh, I don't know if I ever thought that Callum Smith was too much for Canelo. Uh, well, actually, I did think that Callum Smith was too much for Canelo, and I thought Kovalev was too much for Canelo. But after I saw Canelo come in and give that savage KO to Kovalev, uh, I thought that 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 Smith was would have been just a walk in the park because Smith is nowhere. Yes, Kovalev is an old man, but is nowhere near, in my opinion, as skilled as Kovalev. So those that's just my two cents. I, I, after seeing Canelo knock Kovalev out cold. I don't think Smith has anything for Canelo. No, and the the other thing, too, that people have been talking about with Callum Smith was the prospect of him going up to 175 pounds. And, again, the fact that John Ryder was able to get up in on him like that, get past that jab and that strong right hand, you know, I I think he's going to be having nightmares about a guy like Arthur Baturbiev if he ever thinks about going up to 175 and, and taking on somebody like that. That that's you know, who, that's who Canelo needs to stay away from. Better BF. I think that's a dude that most <laughs> most people need to be staying away from. At one seventy five. I think he just needs to go back to one sixty, one sixty eight, to tell you the truth, guys. Um I know one seventy five was a good test and you know, um just seeing really the the talks from fight fans to even uh media 
uh, about Kovala and the reaction now we're seeing from Kovala, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Kovala was not who he once enjoyed watching. He was, a, you know, this this guy was past that prime and and not Canelo's fault. You know, it's all strategically the way things are done. If you got a good team on your side that are able to to see the 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 kinks the kinks in your game. Um, I just, you, yeah. know, I, you know, it's crazy. I, I sit back and I go, because if you go back to 2000, I want to say 2012, 14, maybe in between those years, um, I was a heavy, very heavy critic to Canelo Alvarez. Um, Dave, I, remember I, remember, did, I remember when he hung up on you when you were interviewing him right. on, on, on this show. Yeah, you know, because I was questioning his motive of what he was doing. You know, um, this is not – here's the thing. It's, a lot of people think that making a guy jump up weight or having a stipulation in weight where there was a cutoff is kind of new in this point of era of boxing. But this is not new. This is something that's been around for a good 20 years. You know, and this is something that that the handlers of 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 the more established, more popular fighter uh, ha, 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 have implicated and taken advantage of. You know, they see well, we have the star power, we could do this, and because we know that this guy is is fighting for crumbs right now, and this would be the biggest payday. You know, but going back to my original thought was that I'm yeah. just so kind of thrown back that we're now at a point where we're talking about. Who Canelo should be fighting next? Because he is now. I don't think there's no argument that you could say he's by far one of the uh, best fighters in the world. You know, whereas, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I said, I, I did a segment back in I want to say it was 2008, 2010. I think it was like 2010. No, yeah, no, like 2012 actually. Um, where I did a segment where I was like, gee, if Canelo and Chavez Jr. Um, are the are the face of Mexican fighters, dude? I don't want to be Mexicano no more, bro. I, that's yeah. that's how bad I used to like look at them. Like, <laughs> oh, these guys are terrible. Like, oh my god. But you know, trust the process. Um, it's something that 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 has been I've heard throughout my years. Uh, you know, forty five years in this world. Uh, ten years back, I always heard trust the process, trust the process. Well, and I remember, particularly with Canelo. A lot of guys that were handling him and that were part of his team used to tell me, like, Dave, you don't like him right now. Trust the process. We know what we're doing with him. And, I, and that's why I've given them a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, got to give them the accolades of applause because gee, they got him exactly what they told me they were going to get. And I didn't think they were going to reach that point. They did. And, you know, the whole funny thing about when people like Chavez and Canelo, who I felt at the time was, was more untested, were being promoted so heavily – as the faces of Mexican boxing. I mean, guys like uh, Juan Francisco Estrada were like really, you know, grinding it out, but were totally being ignored, at least here in the United States. I mean, there have always been top Mexican title holders in the lower weight classes, but, you know, right. those lower weight classes have always been um, in, been ignored. Now, when I look at uh, Canelo and what he has on the horizon, it, you also have to kind of ask the same questions about Callum Smith because – I still consider Callum Smith to be the top dog at 168 pounds. But, I mean, right on his tails are like David Benavidez, who I think just needs a fight to kind of solidify who he is. And, um, you know, Caleb Plant is like right behind them. So I'd like to see 
uh, Callum Smith take on one of those two guys, but obviously we have the network differences. Callum Smith is with the zone, Benavides and Plant are with the PBC, and then Canelo's with the zone. So if if Callum Smith is smart, he's going to take a uh, a percentage cut. He's still going to make off great if he can try to do anything he can to land the Canelo fight because I think that David Benavides definitely gives him give his gives him problems and then he loses the prospect of fighting Canelo if he takes a a loss against against Benavides but you know we'll see what happens because I think the plan with the PBC is for Benavides to eventually take on to take on Plant but you know, for you like zone. what you were saying with Canelo he's he's got he can fight whoever he wants you know, others have said right. it it's a Canelo division he could fight at 160 168 <laughs> make up catch weights it's it's really up to him really is but also just to Add to what you're saying about being on dip, different networks. Um, yeah. The Zone and Golden Boy and PBC have already proven they're willing to play in the same playing ground with each other. They don't have a problem with it. The Zone literally had put a picture of David ben, uh, Benavides up on their social media saying, "Hey, would you want to see Canelo against this guy or this guy or that guy?" So I think they're already yeah. what they're trying to do is kind of hear the reaction from the fans to see who they want, and then they can slowly start negotiating uh, it to Canelo. Because at the end of the day, at the table, it's going to be Canelo who has to make that decision of who he, who, of who he wants to fight fight next. Uh, let me pass in another fight fan here on Leaving Ring. Uh, guys, you want to call in? You certainly can. 347-215-7598. Let's talk boxing here on Leaving Ring. Let's patch in. This is uh, area code. Let me see if I can get them on. Area code 111. You're on live right now on Leaving Ring. Yes, Dave Amilka, how's it going? It's I'm good, brother, I'm man. How are you? This is my man out good. there from England, good. right? Yeah, from the UK, man. Yeah, it's What's been a up, long bro? time. Yeah, how's it been? Yeah, you guys took a long time, really, um, off the show. I know Gabe hasn't been on, but yeah. how's it going? I missed the beginning of the show. Good, brother. We just talked about Wilder. We talked about uh, El Chango. Uh, now we're talking Canelo. And uh, Callum Smith, um, did you have a chance? Did you watch the Ortiz fight or uh, Wilder Ortiz? Yeah, I watched. I watched pretty much everything except the zone cards. For some odd reason, those zone cards are not being streamed uh, in the UK. I'm not sh- too sure why Eddie Hume hasn't been putting them on Sky Sports. But yeah, I managed to watch all the Fox cards. I think I slept through the Brandon Figueroa fight. I think I heard that was meant to be the best fight of the cards. The Santa Cruz fight was bad. Like. Uh, that was hard to watch, <laughs> but I thought uh, it wasn't a bad. It wasn't a bad card. Well, Brendan Brendan Figueroa had to fight a guy that came nowhere close to making the contracted weight. I believe it was four and a half That's pounds true. over, and um, lucky for him, got a draw out of it. But that could have gone really badly for him. Yeah, I heard that was a really good fight. Uh, he's still young. I think he's got time to. Learn. Uh, I wouldn't advise that in the future. If a uh, guy's coming out four pounds overweight, you shouldn't be fighting. I've heard about people criticizing Emmanuel Rodriguez because he didn't take the fight with Neely. I think Neely was was like a pound over, but I think it's different circumstances. But that you got a guy who's a former PD cheater and who's failed to make weight numerous times. I think with this as well, I didn't really agree with it. If a guy comes in overweight and more than one or two pounds, then I mean, it, it, it was his decision, so I think they probably went through with it, but it's not something that I think should be done 
in the future. I thought uh, with the Callum Swift fight, I thought Callum Swift lost. Like I, I didn't agree with the decision. I didn't watch every round, but I watched the majority of the fight. Uh, to me, Ryder, I thought, did enough to win. Um, I, I've seen some people say it wasn't a robbery, but I think the word robbery, it de- depends how you define that word. You've got a guy who's clearly want to fight a close competitive fight, in your opinion, and I think you could define it as a robbery when you got already one scorecard, which is blatantly a house scorecard, and it being in Liverpool, then I think you can, because with Canelo Golovkin, I didn't think that was that wide the first fight. Uh, although I could see why people thought that was a robbery, because I had a seven rounds to fight for Golovkin. But when you look at that 118-110 scorecard, you could see why people thought it was a robbery. Well, the thing is, I mean, I mean, words lose meaning when they're overused. And one of the most overused words amongst boxing fans, apart from the word bum, which I have a huge problem with, uh is robbery. And, you know, there's clear examples of cases where I believe there actually were robberies. And one of the biggest ones from my childhood was Lennox Lewis Evander Holyfield one. Like to me, you want to talk robbery. That's the gold standard for robbery. Um, You know, and they, they made it, they, they obviously didn't give Holyfield a victory. They gave him a draw, which was kind of a sneaky way of, (laughs) of robbing, Evander, uh, sorry, of robbing Lennox Lewis, this fight came nowhere near to that kind of level of controversy. It was a close yeah. fight. It was a fight where, you know, the problem is when you have multiple ways of judging judging a fight, um, multiple scoring criteria, and one is not weighted over the other, and obviously all of this is subjective, Rep- referees in and and, and in, in this case, because I know in England you do have referees to judge fights too, but in this case, judges are going to have kind of can, can have different scores, right? Um, especially than us as, as fans sitting at home. I felt that it was a close fight that could have been swung one way or the other over maybe two rounds. Um, but what I did disagree yeah. with, and I said this before you called in, was the 117 score. Like, that's just ridiculous. That, that's what I was going to try and say. Like, yeah. I, I called in, I think it was the Ringside Report on Sunday. And I'm normally on the, was the Grueling Truth podcast, like, sometimes coming on as a guest. But I, I was going to say, I got no problem if you thought that was a close, competitive fight that could have went either way or it was a draw. I just found it hard. And seeing how people are online as well, to see Callum Swift win more than six rounds. I think if it was a draw, I don't think it would be as much of an outcry. But the fact that I was in Liverpool and you had right. guy, a guy scoring a fight, 117-111, that's giving Ryder three rounds. I think it's hard to see that. And the eight rounds as well, I think it was a bit slightly wider. That's why I'm going by where I thought how the fight played out. But I even said, was it the worst decision? Probably not, but it's just the fact that we've seen it so many times. I think people are kind of sick of it. And no, it's, it's always like I, that. I understand. I agree. I, I can definitely it's the understand. Fight, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can definitely understand what you're saying. I can agree with you, too. It's like the like the Adelaide Bird scored card. It's outrageous. But well, I mean, what I, was I, outrageous yeah. in this fight was that, and the judges were Jose Roberto Torres, Terry O'Connor, and Francisco Ayosa Rosa. And this is what was ridiculous. They all gave Callum Smith the first five 
of the five, first, five of right. the first six rounds. I mean, that's just crazy. Dust, dust, dust. Five crazy, of the yeah. first six that, rounds. I mean, those were some of his best rounds. I mean, he was all up in in his face, just digging to the body, and what I, he, there was beautiful in and out work in terms of his footwork and in terms of his slipping of shots. It was, I was really surprised by how good John Ryder fought, especially in the first uh, six rounds. Yeah, he's you know what's really hard fight, for me? Uh, it... Well, I was going to add really quick. Yeah, you know what's quick, really yeah. hard for, for, for judges to, to do? It's to look at both fighters' uh, work that, is, that they're doing in the ring. If you notice that if your name is the headliner, a judge by human nature will, uh, will more likely watch what the house fighter is doing rather than what the challenger is doing when they should be looking at the overall of the fight. And that's my problem with a lot of these judges is that they're not taught yeah. that they're there to watch an overall fight, not just one particular performance from one particular fighter. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say, like, I've, like, I've given up like that. I used to get mad over judges' decisions and stuff like that, but <laughs> yep. after watching the sport for so many for for fifteen sixteen years, it's got to a point like now I I can't like I give I give up like I think when I've seen decisions like Pacquiao Bradley and those I don't even think are that bad as some of the ones that happened in the past the ones with I think is Whitaker Ramirez but the fact that it keeps happen, happening in this day and age is I think is not much you could do about it I think one criteria people try and cave on to is as the champion. He done enough to hold on to the title, but that's not really a criteria. If you look at the four criteria, it's ring generalship, defense, mm-hmm. clean punching, and effective aggression. Now, I think really the only criteria really you should be looking at first is clean, clean punching. And can yeah, I just jump in there real quick? I think that you only should really be using those other criteria uh, when both have been just landing clean shots relatively evenly. Yeah, that's true. Right, then you look at the other categories. But, you know, what's happened, and I've spoken to Kenny about this before, When, like, for instance, with the Charlo Harrison fight, the first one, and a lot of people thought that was a quite controversial decision and others had no problem with it yep. at all, me being in the yep. latter group. Um, you know, again, when judges have that multiple criteria they use, it's almost like if they want somebody to win, they can just use one or two criteria to prove their point. Yeah, it's like one of the most fights I think in the last couple of years. Uh, people tried claiming it was a robbery, which I don't think it was. Even live, I thought Jacobs beat Golovkin. But if you rewatch that fight, uh, and I think a lot of people have pointed it out as well on other podcasts. But if you look at some of the things in those rounds, the, one of the main things that stood out was Golovkin was landing some clean hard jabs on. He was. His face and I agree. Uh, he won like, that fight with his stuff jab. Stuff like that. And, and yeah, I've said stuff this like to Kenny. That. Sorry, Ahmed, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to stuff like that. Sometimes people don't uh, like pick it up when you're watching it live. Although I thought that was a close fight as well. Like, it was, I, I, don't, I didn't understand. The thing with Jacobs, in all, of his, in all of his tough fights, except for the one that he lost against uh, oh, shoot, Pirog, I forget, the, Russian, the Russian fighter off the Pirog, top of the... Yeah. Yeah, Dimitri Pirog, thank you. Other than other than that, in all of his tough fights, I mean, his M.O. is I just do just enough to lose and then 
say that I won. I mean, he he doesn't <laughs> clearly win right. rounds. You know, he, he just it's like he's incapable of clearly winning a round. And then when he loses, he 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 says that he won the fight. I I disagree with you. I thought Canelo won that first fight or won that fight, and I felt I he won it principally, like you said, off of his jab. I the thought Derevianchenko yeah. won that fight. I thought Triple G won that fight. About... Yeah, I thought Triple G beat beat uh, Danny Jacobs. So I, you thought, think he, I, thought, I thought I thought Triple mm-hmm. G and Danny Jacobs was a draw. I thought Triple G beat Canelo in the first fight, and I thought that Canelo beat him in that second ma- that second match. I agree. You know? I agree yeah. with both of those. I do not agree with the first judge. I do think uh, 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 Triple G beat Jacobs. I think Jacobs should have three losses on his record. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Triple G, Canelo, and Dervianchenko. He does have three. I well, think. well he have and three? he he has the he has the Dmitry Pirog knockout loss as well. Well, right. I mean three three additional losses to what he already has. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. I I, I, didn't, I didn't say no, that. I, I well. Excuse me. I don't I don't think he lost to Dervianchenko. That was close, but I I don't know probably some people thought he lost because then again that was a close fight. I think well, it was a really close fight. I have but you know what? You know what was tough about that fight for me, and I felt it was very fair to Devranchenko. First, it was a very close fight that the case can be made that he won. But the other factor about that fight that almost no one discusses is the fact that his trainer, a guy who knew all of his weaknesses and all of his strengths, was coaching the other guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Under you know, how many fighters have ha- have to deal with that? Where literally the guy who trained you is in enemy camp. Training the guy on how to beat you—that's right. different. Yeah. Uh, did you guys think that Golovkin Devichenko fight uh, was a uh, like? Did you disagree with that decision? I heard some people y- thought yeah. that was a robbery. Yeah, I thought Devichenko won that one as well. Devichenko should be an undefeated fighter right now in my book. Agreed. That's possible. I think those are both close fights. I don't think Canelo and Jacobs when they fought in May was really that close. I, I, a lot of those rounds, Jacobs, I think he kind of stole. I think Canelo clearly won that fight. Like, you could maybe have it closer than some people, but I think in that fight, Jacobs, really, if you look at it against Canelo, I think I scored about eight rounds to four for Canelo, but Jacobs, I don't think, won more than two clear rounds Canelo. That was, I think, a fight that there's no just complaints about that decision. But I want to talk about the Wilder-Ortiz fight. Uh, I've seen mixed reactions about this fight. Uh, I, I don't think it was the worst fight, if I'm being honest, but I don't think it was a great fight. Like, for six rounds, Wilder really wasn't doing much. And it no, was yeah, a great was fight. It was a, a boxing, match. strategic boxing match fought smartly by Luis Ortiz until he was KO'd by one punch in the seventh. The The electric factor for me was the fact that at any moment Ortiz could be knocked out. And it's actually right. what happened, but it wasn't an exciting fight. Yeah, no, the, no, the, but the no, thing what? that surprised is how he ended it so quickly. Like it, it was over in a, like in the blink of an eye. It was like a flash, right hand, and he ended it. But I'm not sure if Wilder's improved. I keep hearing people say Wilder's improved, but look, Ortiz is not a bad fighter. But if you look at his resume, like, I don't want to come off as a hate or anything, but it's really not an impressive resume. Now, I don't know if that's down to him being avoided, whatever. You can make an argument on either side, but if you just look at it, he's, you maybe could say argue a top six 
anyway they're top 10 heavyweight but while they're looking at him people are saying he's improved since the Fury fight I'm not sure if he has I think he is what he was before that fight he's just the guy mm. who relies on his right hand I, 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 I don't yeah see I, I think that look I think here's the thing is the old the the old wild wilder the the guy that was fresh out of uh, the Olympics would have made the major mistake that he actually did in the first fight, which was try to have a shootout with him right away with Ortiz. Ortiz was able to catch him with a short punch. That's what hurt him that first time. This second time around, Wilder did not allow that to happen. He wanted to keep him at the end of his punch. He looked for it. He made it boring. He was kind of you know trying to calculate his right hand to to get in that to get in between the gloves of Ortiz. He's improved. Now, is it a major leap of improvement? Absolutely not. He still has a lot of stuff to work on, but I don't think he's ever going to get to that point. But I got to agree with you. Okay, Ortiz, is he the, you know, what people are making him out, the best guy that, that Wilder has fought? Yes and no. If you were to put Ortiz in the, in the pool of heavyweights in the 80s and the 90s, I would totally agree with you. He's not one of the best heavyweights. But right now, for what we have at this moment, in this year, you have to say he is one of the best heavyweights that Wilder was able to face at this time. Oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. In terms of basically, he had no one to fight. I know after he turned down that deal with his own, basically this was probably the best option. But I don't think he's better. Maybe got more skills. You could argue. I even said Ortiz has got the skills. We'll never know how good he really was, but. If you talk about accomplishments and guys who, who they beat, I th- I'd probably say Povetkin, Dylan White, and maybe even you could argue Joseph Parker and maybe Pulev might be better. I- I'm not sure about Pulev, actually. I think Ortiz is probably better. I think Pulev hasn't really done much as well or, of, as of late, but I think the other three you could say are probably better. It's just right now, I think he's probably, that could be towards the, the latter part of his career. I think Ortiz is old, but... I think with Wilder, I think he probably can knock anyone out. I even said the other day, I think the only guy who could probably beat him, if I'm totally being honest, is probably Tyson Fury. And I think the only guy who could really knock him out, maybe you could argue Dylan White is Joshua. I'm still not convinced about his chin. I don't think it's as bad as I thought it was and some people think it was because Ortiz tagged him in both those fights and... He stood yes. on his feet, and whatever you say about Ortiz, Ortiz can't crack. He's he's clearly a top 10, I think you could argue before the fight, top 5 heavyweight. And he took his shots. Now, I think if Joshua, before the Ruiz fight, if he was to fight Wilder, I think that would have been a toss-up. Right now, I think Wilder's a favorite. Depending on how Joshua looks, obviously, he's going to have to win that fight with Ruiz. If he gets knocked out, then I think Ruiz will be in the question to fight. Wilder, but I think Joshua might be the only one who's capable, but I don't think Joshua moves his head and Ortiz does slip and slide. He got the upper body movement. That's where I think if Wilder's fighting someone like Joshua, he could capitalize, but I do like the Fury rematch even though I did want to see a unification. That's one thing I've been critical of Wilder. He's had like 40 fights and never been in a unification. And I don't think all those guys ducked him, so Maybe after the Fury fight, we could probably finally see a unification with Ruiz and or Joshua, whichever one wins. But I think Wilder, 
is live against anyone, and he probably might be the best heavyweight right now. If that right hand lands on anyone, I think they're going to see. I think that if uh, if uh, if uh, AJ wants to have a chance at Wilder, he needs to do a couple of things. That is, he needs to improve his chin. He needs to improve his his uh, defense, his backwards and his lateral movement, and he needs to improve his jab. Over conditioning, I, I I don't know about chin. I don't think you can improve your chin. Well, uh, well yeah, in terms of his Tyson, defense, Mike Tyson always, and rolling Mike with Tyson. shots. Go for it. Sorry, go for it. it yeah, he was, was saying, saying Mike that, Tyson. Not. Yeah, yeah. I was I was saying that. Uh, Mike Tyson uh, always preached uh, back in the day that uh, a chin can be improved with one working out the the muscles in their neck because it, it uh, uh, stops the vibration that goes up the spine to knock somebody out or down the spine to knock somebody out to the brain, up the spine to the brain, excuse me. So you can improve your chin. Can you get it so you can't get knocked out? No, I doubt that, but you can slightly improve your chin. Uh, um, if If... The way that Anthony Joshua looks right now, if he was to 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 get hit by one of uh, 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 Wilder's jabs, it looks like he'll go down. Yes, his conditioning was horrible, but his chin is presenting a really, really, really bad problem. When he got hit by Klitschko, it wasn't a bad thing because you know Klitschko's respected. Klitschko's a a a a, a huge that name that everybody shot. that everybody knows. But but uh, sorry, what was that? You said that was a good what? That was a really good shot. I don't think many people would have got back up from that shot. I you would exactly. argue that Wilder's shot landed on Fury as well. I don't think many people would have got up. I'm not sure if it's just chin. I think it's more to do with conditioning, maybe defense, upper body. He doesn't really move his head. He's a bit too. Before the first what was it the first Ruiz fight, he was too big. Uh, I don't think it's just to do with chin. I don't, I don't think he recovered from the first shot that guy, he took on the temple. and That was his own mistake. He stayed in the pocket and tried swinging with Ruiz. When he become a gunfighter, there's only going to be one winner. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's just the chin. Maybe he could improve it a bit, but I think a heavyweight, if Wilder hits anyone, in this era, I think they're all going to see. It's not really the greatest era. I think maybe the only guy I could see that might avoid that right hand is Usyk, but I'm not sure if he's big enough. And I think at the moment it's a bit early to say. But if Usyk gets, I think it's a, that, I, I think, think it's a bit early. I think it's a bit early to say Usyk can avoid anything. Man, I, I gotta see Usyk fight a real threat in the heavyweight division. Yeah. But brother, we gotta let you go because we gotta let some other folks yeah. on the Thanks show. Appreciate the call, man. Thank you, brother. Um, I'm gonna patch in another fight for, in here. But I, again, Usyk, I, I'm very still very intrigued about Usyk's. Uh, you know, uh, uh, now into the heavyweight, uh, he's definitely a name that needs to be thrown out a bit more. But I think it's just too far early in the game to even say if he's really that threat. Let's patch in area code 805. You're on live right now and leaving the ring. What's on your mind, brother? Am I on? 805? Yes, sir. This is me, Noel, brother. What's up? What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Well, I'm good, man. So, uh, you, I just, I just, uh, I called in earlier. Something happened, so I called in again. You guys, sounds like you guys are talking about Usyk. Or Usyk we're talking or about Usyk right now. Yeah, about the heavyweight division, Wilder, 
uh, you know, his win, his knockout, his chaos, and uh, that sensational KO over Ortiz. Uh, we're talking about is is there anybody right now that can withstand his punch? Is there anybody out there right now not just withstand his punch, but avoid that punch and make him pay for uh, uh, the mistakes that that that's, that's an obvious. Well, from from what I saw on Saturday as far as uh, Wilder goes, he looks he looks like he's just he's improving. He's not getting too wild. He's uh, especially and you got to give Wilder props for, for first of all fighting the boogeyman, right? That no, everyone else was avoiding, and then to fight him a second time when he almost got knocked out, he just said, "Hell no, I ain't gonna fight that fight. I ain't fighting that guy no more. It's too much of a threat." You got to give the man all the props in the world for that, right? And uh, no, you do. But he was very patient. He was very patient. You see that? He was, I mean, that's pretty much. Yeah, everyone was waiting for for the punch. But he was very, uh, very calm, very patient. He didn't try to get too wild, you know. Remember, because they they'd say they call Wilder, you know. A wild puncher, and that's how he was. Like, like, uh, what, what they they put those uh, those wind wind machine memes and all this shit. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see that in this fight. So, <laughs> so, so it was a uh, it was very uh, it was pretty refreshing to be able to uh, for him to time himself. Now, did you did you find the me, fight boring? Let me ask you that. Did you find the fight boring? Or, or did you kind of expect that uh, that that's the way it was going to run? Well, no, it wasn't. Uh, Luis Ortiz, he won every round in my eyes, and if no one else thought that, then I don't know what I the disagree. hell you were watching. All the all the judges felt that way, but I disagree. But I had a different scoring criteria than most did. Uh, see, so, uh, like like my scoring criteria is more is solely on landed punches. That's the one thing I score on. So, uh, yes, uh, Ortiz was landing more, more meaningful punches in round one through six, but I had Ortiz with the first two rounds, Wilder with the uh, uh, three, four, five, Ortiz with round six. I didn't see how uh, the judges had majority score, uh, majority score on four Ortiz, but then again, uh, the, everybody has a different scoring criteria. I have no idea what they're judging. Absolutely, because I mean you're going you're going by, I mean I'm going off what I see. If I have to see it again, and and I'm gonna judge off of clearer punches, uh, better dodging. I mean you could score things all day the way you want to see the fight. But if exactly. you're just seeing the fight, to me, I just see who's who's. Um, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you have different divisions. There's some people that will like a judge a, a Mayweather or a Canelo that's not gonna be hit as much. But he won the round by his dodging ability, or uh, Floyd Mayweather's uh, shoulder roll, and just landing one, one, uh, you know, like four or five clean punches in that round, when the other guy was was being the aggressor but never landed shit. So let me ask it you. All let me ask you this really how you, quick. How you want to see that shit? What's let me ask you this real quick here, Noel. Who do you think is going to be the guy to dethrone uh, Deontay Wilder? Is it Andy Ruiz? If he gets past AJ, or is it AJ getting past Ruiz, or is it Usyk, or Tyson Fury? I heard you talking about Usyk, and, and it's the same shit when people are saying, like, um, you know, 
uh, Terrence Crawford. Oh, he, before he even fought a fought at welterweight, they're saying, saying he's the top welterweight. He hasn't even fought fought in that division yet. So Usyk now has just what fought? Who did he fight? Witherspoon. Okay. You know who that is? He's yeah, that's, uh, that's Tim Tim, Tim right? Witherspoon's cousin. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so, so, I mean, okay, so I can't really judge uh, Usyk on, 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 on where he's at right now because he's a real light heavyweight just like Deontay Wilder. You know what I mean? Deontay Wilder what, weighed in like 214 over right. his last 214, fight. Was, what, like, he like weighed that. in like at 209, right? Okay. So he has that God-given talent of that power, and he, and, he, and he times it. Usyk is a very technical fighter. I feel like he could um, – I feel like uh, he's like – I mean, his main trainer is Lomachenko's dad, right? I think I think yes. his I think his main fame, to be honest, is winning the World Boxing Super Series and becoming the undisputed champ at 200 pounds. Um, my issue with Alexander Usyk as he moves up is that I have seen him get hit quite a bit. I'm not Wait, saying he right gets on. hit like an Arturo Gatti or a Mickey Ward, but Murat Gassiev landed leather on him, right? And if, as we've seen, Deontay Wilder does that once or twice. It's all she wrote. Exactly. That, that's, that's my problem that's with true. Usyk. Usyk gets okay, yeah. hit so, way so. too much. He gets, he, gets, he gets hit way too much. Even uh, uh, when he fought uh, the last gentleman in cruiserweight, before he moved up to heavyweight, he gets hit Murakashi, way too much. Yes. Oh, sorry, uh, no, Tony, no, Tony, Tony Bellu. Yeah, Tony, Tony Bellu. Right, so, he got hit oh, way okay, too much. So, so, okay, so, so, so ahead, do we continue. call Usyk... Does, does, he have, does he have a, a, a good chin with technical prowess? Well, or, I think he has we a don't good know yet. chin. Like, but I, I, I wouldn't call him a heavyweight anyway, by any means at all. You no, know but what I'm saying? Ha- uh, we barely just saw him fight. There's having a good chin, and then there's withstanding Deontay Wilder's shot. So, look, Usyk has already outboxed Joe Joyce in the World Boxing Super Series where he He's fought as right? a heavyweight. So I have right. no doubt that Usyk can beat most of the heavyweights out there that aren't named Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. I think he would give Andy Ruiz a lot of problems because of Andy Ruiz's short size and stature, right? But, and hand speed. Mm-hmm. And hand speed, yeah. But, but, but you know, we're, we're talking about a 6'9", really a super heavyweight, and a 6'7", guy who hits harder than anyone I've seen. Absolutely. Yeah. Noel, we're going to let you go, bro, because we got to pass in some more of the uh, fight fans here, man. I appreciate the call. Before I say, go ahead. before I leave, I'm going to say the, the, the heavyweight that gives Deontay Wilder the most trouble is Tyson Fury, because I believe Tyson Fury won that last fight. I don't give a fuck if he got knocked down, came back up like The Undertaker. He fucking came back. <laughs> I don't know. He fucked, to, to me, he fucking won that fight, so. We right, agree man. on that, Noel. I, I agree with Thanks you. for your call. All right, man. Take care. All right, fight fans. We got 25 more minutes. I see we got a couple calls still. You guys want? If you guys want to try to get on, it's 347-215-7598. Let's patch in the next call that has been on hold here. Area code 510. You're on live right now. Leave the ring. What's on your mind? Hey, Dave. Hey, Milkers. Fernando here in Richmond. How you guys doing? Hey, Fernando, Fernando. man. Nice to What's hear good? your voice. 
Yeah, yeah, I called in late today, so I barely called in. I was getting off from work, man. But uh, yeah, it's interesting, man. Like the whole conversation, listen, the conversation about the heavyweight. Like a few months ago, dude, like I wrote into that Showtime box. I was like, hey, man, if you guys have Usyk at number four, can Deontay in the top ten, man? Because in my opinion, Deontay sparks Usyk, man. You know, and they're about the same size. They're what, two fifteen, two twenty, both of them. You know, right? And they kind of laughed at me. They kind of laughed at me. They kind of like they answered my question, which is cool on the podcast, right? But they kind of laughed at me, scoffed at me a little bit. And now you got like uh, people like coming around to Deontay a little bit, man. You know, like uh, Lance Pugma, he put him in the top ten uh, pound for pound. You know, so like I, I, I just think that Deontay has one skill better than anybody else is that knockout punch, man. And that's got to count for something for a right. pound for pound status. You know, if you got the biggest punch, man. That's a skill. That's a that's a rare skill, man. You know, a lot of guys can get, get, on the, get on their skates and stuff and, like, dance around, you know, but not many guys can spark somebody like that, dude. That, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's like the, the, that's gold in boxing, man. And, and, and not yeah. everybody, and here's another thing that I don't think nobody's giving credit to Dante Wilder, you know, is that Dante doesn't hold back. He literally tries to land it in every round. He tries to throw it two to three times, and... And I know the Pauline jab, is, it's, you know, it, it, people can label it as boring and go like, oh, I really don't care for that. He was trying to be more methodical with his punches. But the time, as time goes, you start developing and understanding what your capabilities are in the ring. And I think we're now seeing that right now, that pinnacle point of Dante Wilder, of who he knows and he understands that this is what's got him here. So he's now got to find every time out how to land it because every fight, every other fight from now on, everybody, every trainer is watching that punch and, and they're going to have to try to figure out how to numify it. Well, like, uh, like, exactly, man. Kind of lean back to what the last call was talking about. You know, I still think Tyson Fury gives him a lot of a uh, uh, big headache, right? And the trainer, Ben Davis, when he was at the fight, and they were like asking him, you know, what do you think about the fight? And he has he had a word for it to nullify. He has a way to, they have a way of nullifying Deontay's power. He's already like thought of a way. I'm thinking he's gonna go back to do what he did to Klitschko, man. Uh, a lot of hugging, a lot of keeping him, yeah. uh, you know, keeping him within uh, close range. Right now, letting, letting Deontay extend his arms like that, you know, uh, Tyson can stink it out when he wants to, man. Really bad, man. It doesn't make for a uh, fun fight, but he, you know, I'm really I hope that fight gets made in February. I know they haven't really like. They haven't really, like, got around to, at least on the PD, PDC side, they haven't really seemed like they've been all that excited to announce it. You know, they didn't even really mention it after the fight even. You know, they didn't mention uh, the, uh, Tyson Fury or nothing, which is kind of odd, I thought. You know, I, I don't I, think I, they I don't mentioned it because about... they, don't know, they don't know exactly. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's it's going to be up to Bob Arum and top rank of what they're, what they're going to, what they plan to do. You know what I mean? I, I think it's shown that it could be very difficult working, those two working together. So, I think that's why they, they weren't so forward of saying that this is going to be the next fight. Do you, do you um, think, where, where do you give the chances they're actually backing out? I'm sorry, Milkar, go ahead. I, I apologize. No, that was Kenny. You're fine. That, that you're fine. Kenny. You have questions. Yeah, I'm yeah. from New York. I just have a, 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 a comment to say towards what you said earlier regarding uh, uh, Deontay Wilder and pound-for-pound pound rankings. Uh, this is a conversation that myself in the middle actually have all the time. Pound-for-pound uh, pound rankings actually don't have a certain criteria, just like judging the fight doesn't have a criteria. They have no way of judging who's a pound-for-pound pound fighter. If anything, 
uh, Canelo should probably be number one pound for pound because he is a cash cow and he's be all the a uh, whole bunch of people in multiple divisions has multiple belts in multiple divisions. But again, there is no judging criteria for pound for pound. So when you went onto the podcast and you were laughed at, there's really no reason for anybody to be laughing at you because technically, you could be judging pound for pound boxing in the sense of. Okay, Deontay Wilder weighs what is it, two sixteen, two nineteen, and he knocks anybody out. You know, you, you never know. There, there, there's like that's there why I like no divisional ranking. Specific criteria. There is no specific criteria for pound for pound boxing. So definitely don't feel bad that you were laughed at. No, no, I agree. And and I like. Look, we can all say who we feel is the most technical or the most skilled fighter. I mean, for years, for me, that was uh, Farmoso from from Mexico. But obviously, he didn't get much credit because he was in such a low weight class. But for, for, since the beginning of boxing, the best boxer in the world has been the heavyweight, the heavyweight champ, because he beats anybody. Now, you want to start talking pound for pound? That's just a value-subjective judgment. And, you know, your, your, val, your statement on that is as valid as anybody's, whether it's Max Kellerman, Steve Kim, you know, uh, David, or anybody else. I just feel like uh, some people are, like, uh, are so confident in their opinions that they, they kind of, like, get set in their ways, you know? Like, for instance, I don't really want to throw a top ten out, for, out there, right? Like, I'm not saying Deontay's number one or number ten. But I, do, I do believe he's <laughs> top, top, uh, somewhere in the top ten. Like, I think he's somewhere in there, right? If well, name, a, name, a guy that beat, name, name a guy that beats Deontay Wilder other than Tyson Fury. Oof. Like, <laughs> styles make fights, man, like. No, I'm just I saying, like, him. none of these yeah, guys that yeah. they mentioned can beat Deontay Wilder. So it's like, what, what, what are what are they laughing at? Uh, he's kind of doing what Lomachenko's doing. They give uh, credit to Lomachenko, right, for uh, – and not to, not to disrespect Lomachenko, but they gave him a lot of credit for uh, fighting above his weight, right? He's a, he's a natural uh, featherweight. Okay, He's fighting yeah. a lightweight, right? Right. But Deontay's really doing that every day, man. He's fighting guys 40, 50 pounds bigger than him. I'm farking him. You know? Absolutely. Like, yeah. That's like – that's that's like Canelo, you know. Like that's you know, Canelo fought at 175. That's him fighting a heavyweight if he wants to fight Brazil, like in, Brazil in had single. like 40 plus uh, pounds on on Deontay Wilder. Yeah, I mean, like people disrespect Mike Tyson nowadays, right? But what they forget is that Tyson showed up just as a super heavyweight was coming around. The Lennox Lewis's, the monsters, Riddick man. Bowe. You know, so, yeah, Riddick Bowe. Like they were just way too big for Mike, man. You know, and, and what, so that's, that's what makes for me what Deontay's doing so special, man, because he's carrying up his, his power like, 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 like I haven't seen somebody since Tito, Tito, Tito Trinidad, man, was the last guy I saw carry his weight, carry his punching power up every weight class, you know? That's Deontay could make cruiserweight if he wanted to. Easily, easily, man. You know, he's not going, he's not going, going up. he said that he's not going. So he said that he just said that before previous moments in his boxing career because. Uh, he felt that he was bored with what he was doing, and he felt bored with the weight class or being I, uh, or being iced out of the heavyweight division because he was looking for a fight with Anthony Joshua for so long. But he he recently said that he doesn't see himself going no, down to the. To I the, know he won't. Weight. I know he won't do it. I'm just saying physically he could get down to 200 pounds. I mean, if he's down to yeah. two, and the fact that he can do that and yet still knock out these guys that are 250 and, and even bigger than that, it, it's like. Fernando saying it's it's very impressive. It is impressive. Fernando, thanks for calling in, brother. We're gonna um pass right, another you. fight fan thank here, you. okay? 
Thank you, Ben. De- right, David, thank you. Un, thank you. un día tenemos que contestar una llamada en español. Los lo tres Órale. hablamos yeah. español. Suena muy bien para mí. See, you guys, are, you guys, okay, now you're just trying to embarrass me, man, con your español, porque ustedes ya saben. You know, you know, hablo muy, muy, muy bien en español. Okay, I'm more in, Chicano. In, in Spanglish, okay. in Spanglish. <laughs> Spanglish works very All well, right. too. Uh, yeah. Um, really quick, just give my thought about what Fernando was saying. Um, yeah, I remember when Kristen Neimer Oriola had stepped in and fought Thomas Adamick. I was there. I covered it. I spoke to Kathy Duva. And uh, I asked her, was she surprised the way uh, Adamick was able to, to, to get away from the best weapons of Chris the Nightmare? And she said, if you really think about the heavyweights, the real natural heavyweights, the guys that really made a lot of noise in the 80s, were all weighing between the, the, the pounds of 210 to 215. 220 was actually a, a really big heavyweight. This is where it's supposed to be at. So Dante Wilder being at 114, 115, it's kind of proven that's really the standard of what a heavyweight is. Uh, the monsters that have coming in have just kind of awe us because it's it's just like watching a Godzilla movie. I remember when Lennox Lewis and Michael Grant stepped in, the commentators, first thing that they had said, this is the first time in boxing history, two big men and the most pounds facing each other in the ring. Let me patch in um, area code 523. You're on live right now on Leave the Ring. What's on your mind? Hello, how's it going? This is Renee, also known as Renee Box Young. I'm com- I'm calling from Mexico. What is good? Hey, Renee, how you doing, brother? I'm all right. Hey, I just want to give a little bit of input concerning uh, Deontay Wilder review, you know, Ortiz two rematch, and a little my- mini analysis of what I think Wilder should do when he fights Tyson Fury. Uh, when we go, go back, you know, and when we think about the thanks, when we think about the rematch, you know. Uh, I think a lot of us were surprised. You know, Deontay Wilder, he wasn't using too much footwork. He was just waiting. He wasn't, you know, Ortiz was doing amazing work, amazing precision, you know, southpaw work. And um, out out of nowhere, boom. I think, you know, what a lot of people are undermining is Wilder's intelligence. He is a very intelligent boxer. He has precision power punches like many, you know, like uh, that, that, that we're not focusing on much, you know, and then it, and his athleticism is amazing. You know, it, when when you, you when you talk about these two elements that Wilder has, I think those are two key elements that he should use in the Tyson Fury rematch. You know, it's so debatable. A lot of people think Tyson Fury won. Okay, a lot of people say Wilder won. Okay, you know. So in the rematch, what we do know is that it was a draw. I mean, technically, you know, judges scored draw. So I mean. This rematch, I think, for Wilder to win, I think he should use, you know, more athleticism, you know, that, that he already has. Because we've seen it before. You guys go back to the uh, Severn rematch. Remember that? Wilder, Severn. Uh, and and right. that footwork he used, right? That footwork he used to knock Severn out in the third, the third knockdown. Remember that? He ran up to him. And then he did, this, he did like a sharp right, you know, jump to the left, right with his foot. And then... Boom, power punch, game over. I mean, his athleticism is, you know, off the charts. For a heavyweight, wow. If he does that against Tyson Fury in the rematch and uses that same precision that he did, you know, against uh, Ortiz calculating, using the jab, I think uh, we got we got the likes for a great, uh, you know, rematch. But as you guys mentioned a moment ago, the politics, PBC, Al Heyman, Bob Arum, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know if it's really going to happen because we haven't seen much promotion of the rematch anyway, as it is so far. We haven't seen anybody really promoting. So we hope, we've got to keep our fingers crossed, 
right? That no, they and do Fury's been doing other things. You know, Fury went to the oh, WWE. Yeah, WWE, the, yeah. And, and yeah, his interest about him doing has been different. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we hope, right? If it doesn't happen, oh, well, right? But, I mean, if it does, I mean, that's, I, think, I think those two elements will help Wilder win. Um, but we know that Tyson has that twitchy, amazing defense, you know, reflexive, spontaneous defense, and, you know, it's great. So, uh, But I'm going for Wilder for the rematch, man. So thank you guys so much for the call. I hope you know what, man? You time. know what, Renee? Yeah. Hold on. No, stay on really quick. You know, uh, yeah. um, first of all, you do a YouTube channel, and I've been checking out your, your videos, oh, bro, thanks, and I really man. like yeah. them. I enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, so Thank let me let me let me uh let me give you a quick plug here, bro. Let me uh get you. Okay, so you guys can find Renee at uh Renee Man Boxing Young and um your boxing channel. If you can just uh shout that out really quick, where they can find your boxing channel on YouTube. Hey, I appreciate it, brother. Hey, as a matter of fact, one of you guys you guys are just talking about uh uh talking in Spanish. You know, I talk Spanish. I've been here in Mexico for more than a decade. Born here, full-blooded Mexican. Um, you know, I'm, I'm bringing out Order content in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. I'm bringing out content in Spanish bit by bit on my YouTube channel. So, yeah, thank you so much for the, for the opportunity. Yes, you can find me on uh, YouTube uh, as Renee Box Young. Uh, I have an iconic uh, symbol in my channel. It's a Mexican flag and an American flag because, you know, got to represent. You know what I mean? So, thank you so much. Uh, I'll be calling in. So, so are you I'll covering? Be in more. So, uh, before you go, you before you go. Before go, yeah. Are you covering yeah, uh, any fights yeah. in, in, in Mexico or, or no, Renee? No, honestly, not yet, at least, because uh, I just started. I just started this YouTube channel. I, I have a history of boxing here as far as training down here locally and knowing some people, but I haven't gotten into that area yet. I'm kind of building up. So I just, I'm new. I'm new to this, man, as far as, as, okay. far as like, you know, YouTube channel and media and stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we, should, up, we should seek but, opportunities but, 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 to collaborate, my man. Definitely. Yeah, I'm there, man. I'm, you know, on, on Twitter, you can catch me out. We'll be in touch. All right, follow before, us on Twitter. Before, before you and get we'll out do of the here. same. Before you get out yeah, of here. Yeah, I'm following you guys. Say. You guys are. You, what, I'm sorry. I'm following you guys already. It's on Twitter. Ring, ring. What? What is it? Leave it, Leave in, the it in the ring. Yeah. yeah, I'm already following you guys. Yeah, yeah. We're, we'll keep in touch. Uh huh. Sounds good. Uh, uh, before you get out of here, I just want to say that I do wholeheartedly agree with you that Wilder does look very extremely composed, and he does look like he's uh, uh, ready to take out Fury, ready to land that land that power shot. Wilder right. knows exactly what he is, and. Uh, Yes, uh, I do think I do go for Wilder in the rematch against Fury. I do think that uh, Wilder can edge him out, not because Wilder's more skilled, but that 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 calm ability, that 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 decisiveness. That he he is a very smart man. The way that he stayed uh, calm during the entire time that he has uh, this barrage of punches coming at him from Luis Ortiz, I think that's going to work for him very well with Tyson Fury. And I wholeheartedly agree with you that I got Deontay Wilder in the Tyson Fury rematch. And I do think that the rematch is going to happen. The reason, the reason why I think Tyson Fury has been doing all this other stuff, uh, the fake MMA stuff and the WWE stuff, is because of the cut in his eye. He has to, he has to let that cut in his eye heal before he commits, before he can box again. I don't know if he's going to do Deontay Wilder right away. As soon as he comes back, he may do a, 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 a cherry pick. But uh, I do think the fight is going to happen. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. We'll keep in touch. Thank you so much, guys. Thank right, you. Man. Take care. Uh, well, you guys are you, you know guys what? are really harsh on Fury, man. Real harsh. I'm a, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I wanna piggyback off of what Kenny was just saying right now because uh um and even what Renee was talking about. Uh, right. I, I was actually thinking of picking Wilder in the rematch. And I'm gonna tell you why. Uh 
Well, the first reason why I think Tyson Fury went off and started doing the WWE um, big payday and and other things is because I think that he, you know I, you can't take nothing away from Tyson Fury. The guy's no the guy knows how to market himself the way Wilder knows how to market himself. Okay, and I think what what Tyson Fury is trying to do is get that build up the demand, and he obviously signed to the man. That knows how to do that, which is Bob Arum, is to have the, to build an, anticipate, an anticipated fight, and this is a rematch here. So it's trying to build the biggest audience so they could sell it and make the biggest money here. But you know, the thing that we know about boxing history is rematches don't always mirror the first time around. I think that Wilder went in knowing that he was probably getting David, I got I got to David I have to interject Go here. Go the, ahead. The Go Fury right KO was much more impressive. Braun Strowman? Are you kidding me? That guy had a chin. <laughs> uh, look, I'm obviously joking. That was the WWE right. KO. Um, uh, that that clearly is it, not man. for, huh? <laughs> I got, I, I, I got to keep, I got to keep you on your toes, man. I got to keep you on your toes, bro. See, that, that time I was in the bathroom by mistake because I missed that whole, that whole. I mean, not there. only did he KO that guy, he KO'd him out of the ring. I mean, Braun Strowman couldn't even make the ten count. Couldn't even I mean, make if, it. I mean, if he, if that's not, pre- if that's not Strowman, preparation, I don't know what is. I see it. You're right. I, I I totally see it now. But uh, yeah. going back with my thought with Wilder is, yeah. is I think that Wilder is probably going to be a little more risky in the rematch. Um, whereas Fury, I think he's just going to try to stink it up as much as he can and try to survive those rounds and hopefully get the win because everybody felt that he won that first fight. I, I think that, that a lot of these fighters will, that that are more – uh, on their toes and want to be on their bicycle, get that. You know, I'm not yeah. going to win this by punch. What a punch. I got to win it by making the guy frustrated, by making him look silly. Uh, but I think what the thing with Wilder is what he's kind of proven is that he's willing to kind of go through the fire to land that big punch. He's willing. I mean, he took Ortiz's best shot so he can land his one big goodnight kiss punch. You know, he did, um, and um, yeah. no, that's spot on, uh, David, absolutely spot on. And just to jump on something Kenny said earlier, you know, there are ways to improve the chin, and I think that Wilder's chin has really improved since the beginning of his year, uh, his, his start in boxing, not just in terms of his, the, the physical way that the punches, uh, you know, absorb by the chin, but, you know, Use, improving your chin through defense, uh, rolling with punches, tucking your chin a little bit better. Wilder has, has developed into a heavyweight that actually can take a solid punch. He's been he he uh, Wilder Wilder has a super solid chin. Wilder's chin is a is another diamond chin. That's another Canelo chin right there. The guy gets hit with everything. Yeah. He gets hit with everything in the kitchen sink and he eats it. He just keeps moving forward or stepping back to the ropes, but still eating. You know what um, I think some of it, Kenny might, really, re- and, and really Dave, quickly, uh, my, my last ahead, thought is just that, my last thought is just that, uh, I 100% think that 
that uh, Tyson Fury is going to use the Klitschko tactic and stink up the whole match and try to grab <laughs> and laugh and joke and make it uh, like embarrass Wilder. I think I definitely think that's how he's going to try to win that fight. And then that's going to make it right like more exciting if he does it. Uh, because he, there was a couple of moments, I mean, even in the 12th after he got knocked down, where he was putting his hands behind his back. I mean, I'm like, is this guy crazy? But uh, he he, he does he does try to be a showman in there. Yeah, I mean, he I mean, yeah, he knows how to sell the show, even when the show's going. You know, um, I you know I I I I hope it happens. Uh, I think right now the heavyweight division is is a great chess board that you can move your pawns wherever you want. I think you're going to get some really good, really good fights. You know, uh, like I said, I used to be a criticizer. I used to criticize Wilder, called him the Bambi of the heavyweights, the Nassim Hamed of the heavyweights. You know, um, because his balance, though, is getting better. And I think the reason why he's able to absorb punches uh, is because I think you have to contribute to his height. He's able to pull back a little bit and, and, and take the steam off punches coming on, you know, they're coming at him. Um, and anyway, I think right now, uh, closing out the year yeah. with AJ and Ruiz is going to be a great talk for next week when we're back here live on the Libran Ring. I want to thank again, Milkar and Kenny for coming on and joining me and being part of the Libran Ring family, uh, being my co-host. I had a great time. I really, truly have missed this. All the callers that called in, I, I man, I love you guys, man. You guys are my extended boxing family. It's always great to hear from you guys. It's always great to chop it up. Um, get active on social media and, and chop it up with more folks on 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 the social the social world. Um, I'll I'll just get into that there. But uh, we're gonna be back every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And I promise you, we'll let Kenny speak a little bit more on the second show, you know, so that you guys can get, uh, get to know Kenny's thoughts and what he believes, <laughs> yeah. man, you know, because I know Kenny went to the bathroom during the show. That's why you guys didn't hear from him as much, you know. Oh, you know I'm going to be breaking your balls, Kenny, because of that. You know, I'm going to fuck your you balls said. now. No, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's fine. That's fine. I missed one of the knockouts of the year. You should. You should bust my balls for that I would have been like, I would have been yelling at you. I would have been like, where the, where the fuck are you going, bro? I got to go to the bathroom, man. I can't hold it no more. But, no, it's all good, man. Um, again, everybody, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is, again, uh, your, your host, Dave Duenas, my co-host, Amel Carr, and my co-host, Kenny. Uh, I'll put their Twitter, ha- tw- uh, uh, Twitter handlers on my feed so you guys can follow them. Uh, and, again, we'll be back on Monday. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Shoot it out there. Well, I'd just like to thank you uh- Gabe, for giving this a public school teacher and trade unionist, unionist an opportunity to talk about something that's always been an important part of my life, boxing. I've been, as I started the show when we're having those technical issues, I started off by just thanking you, thanking uh, Gabe Montoya for, for starting this show. And now being on it as a co-host, it's just something I'm very uh, proud about. And I'm very proud about the fact that I could bring my, my good friend Kenny uh, along with me for this because it's going to be an exciting ride. I just want to say thank you for everything. To you, David, and to you, Emil for bringing me along and letting me speak my piece. Thanks, Kenny. There you go. And thanks, Dave. Thank you, guys, man. I appreciate it. Again, everybody, have a great weekend. Enjoy your turkey. Enjoy your time with your family. Please do not drink and drive because, you know, you will spill your beer. Good night, folks.
Good night. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Caballero.